welcome to another episode of the Insecurity Show. This is episode 48, Intelligent in an Artificial Kind of Way. Visit our website at in-security.org for past episodes, the show notes, to leave comments, and more. You can send us an email to feedback at in-security.org or follow us on Twitter at Insecurity Show. My name is Matt. And my name is Max. Hey, buddy, how's it going this week? Good, man. Big week. Busy week. How's your week going? Uh, my week has been real interesting. Mostly just busy and work interesting, so not real life interesting. Uh, um, what have you been up to? What's what's new and exciting? What's the what's the excitement? Oh, just um, working on the deck. I don't know if I mentioned that last time. Anyways, my back deck had some rotten parts needed to be addressed, so you had some trouble with your big deck. Yeah, yeah, it was overused in some spots, so just yeah. needed to cut it out and put in some new pieces. And then business trip down to Milwaukee, which was a beautiful place. And between that, I don't know, just been busy, been keeping pretty busy. Cool, but man. not too busy. What'd you get up to today? Oh, so the college that I went to, Sheridan College, um, has a program in it that's uh, pretty popular as their animation, the computer animation program. Um, they also have like classical animation, but uh, lots of people who have come out of the computer animation program have gone on to do amazing things and have worked for Pixar. So just recently, Sheridan said, hey, alumni, if you uh, want to come and see the new Incredibles 2 movie for free, just let us know because one of the students made an award winning short that started it. Maybe it's not award winning yet, but it's fantastic. That's cool. It's called Bow about a little dumpling. It was huh. super cute. Was this a bring your family deal or? So it was uh, alumni are free because Carrie and I are both alumni. We were both free and then we just had to buy the kids tickets. Fair enough. And then there was discounts for popcorn and uh, it was great. And the movie was super awesome. Awesome. Uh, I'm really kids, excited to hear about this. So kids really enjoy it. This is going to be Incredibles, right? The Incredibles 2? Yes, The Incredibles oh, 2. Uh, so this is going to be The Incredibles 2 fan cast and you're basically going to take us through Plot point by plot point, beat for beat. The Incredibles 2. Yeah, absolutely. So time now for movie cast. <laughs> Anything else? Anything else exciting this week? Would you got uh, you got some little messes we need to clean up? You got any housekeeping? You got any upkeep? You got some follow up? Some FU for me? Yeah, I got an FU for you right here. Uh, so we were talking in episode 40 five about meltdown and specta mm -hmm. about speculative execution flaws we followed it up in episode 46 about more speculative execution flaws and i think in 47 we also touched on some more yeah we added it we, we not edited we uh followed up again in 47 yep so the hits just keep on coming this time it's a little bit more reminiscent of ye old intel flaws when we discussed the, the early Pentium flaw where it was a math problem in a CPU where a simple math equation would get wrong. Well, back in that day, uh, you didn't rely on floating point units as much as you do now to do math for, say, things like cryptography. And they have a speculative execution type of flaw within their floating point units, something called lazy FP, which is lazy floating point unit state restore. Okay. And... Yeah, it's got some problems. Break cryptography. They're rating it as moderate to fix. They will be producing a patch. A patch, of course, for remediating chips on chip things actually has to come through 
the OS manufacturers. So, of course, keep patching like we always say. When do we get to start calling it execution? Ooh, that's good. I just want to I just want to save those extra syllables. I don't know what I was going to do with them. <laughs> what are you going to do with those extra syllables? When we last left off, <laughs> we also talked about tracking you back in episode 46. Yes. Well, it sounds like the gaming community that listens to our podcast listened. They've been found. <laughs> They are in an outroar over gaming companies, including something called Red Shell okay. within their games. And what Red Shell is, is it's a tracking utility. It gives feedback onto systems from the people that are using it, where people, it tracks like engagement. So where people decided to buy the game from, what their user tag is, like their gamer tag. Those kind of things. It also integrates with ad networks and it's red shell. It looks like, you know, a little uh, Mario Kart red shell that'll track you right, as right. you go around the track and then take you out. So that's pretty clever. Yeah. So Reddit's in an uproar about it. There's a bunch of games and game manufacturers that are starting to say, OK, we're not going to use these people anymore and have taken it out. And then there's a bunch of people that still use it. So there's some lists out there. Of those who have been discovered. Huh. Yeah. It's interesting. There's no opt into it. So people are in uproar that you got to opt out of it. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Yep. And according to their website, tracks performance of paid media, measures ROI on campaigns, dozens of agency and ad network integrations, enterprise level security and compliance. That last one seems like it doesn't belong. <laughs> right. No. <laughs> Works with all traffic sources, uses your own custom URLs for campaign links recognized by all major ad networks. And then it gives you like pretty graphs on stuff and lets you track stuff. So seems like typical marketing media stuff. Weird that it includes it in games. The only thing I can think of is people who develop things like browsers and games always want to use telemetry back to them to figure out what's going on right who's having issues if they're geographically located in an area or if there's certain types of cpu video card um, some sort of configuration flaw that they can narrow it down saying only these type of people are having issues so people would do heuristics on that you've done heuristics before i have yeah that could be a, a use case yeah but i think it being lumped in with a whole bunch of other stuff is causing the outroar which I don't think is necessarily misplaced. Yeah, no. Anyway, Opt in, not out. Yes, that should be the way it is. Back in my day, whenever you'd install something, it would say, hey, do you want to send telemetry information off to somebody else? Do you, do you want to help enrich our product by letting us see some debugging information or whatever they used to call it? Right. So that's the opt-in solution that everybody's much more comfortable with. And it's actually required by the new laws such as GDPR in Europe. Mm. Mm. So by not doing it, it's problematic because it's associated with Steam games, some Steam games, definitely. It's, uh, it's on their little logo, and that would be a problem because Steam users can be anywhere in the world. Right. Because it's tied in with the manufacturer of the game. Their only choice would then be to say, hey, we're not going to release it in Europe or allow European citizens to use it. Yeah. Anyways, whatever. Fun times. Fun times. Do you have any follow-up? No. <laughs>
Nah, I had nothing. I don't think. Did I have anything? Mm. Are you asking because there's an article that I put into the thing? No, no, I'm not asking that at all. Oh, good. <laughs> hey, uh, let me ask you this. What, yeah. are we, what are we talking about today? What's on the docket? Well, you wanted to find out about machine learning a while ago. That does sound like a thing I would ask about. Machine learning actually syncs up with all sorts of marketing material for computer security software. We have machine learning. We're going to learn the machine and we're going to be able to find outliers and shut them down. And old traditional antivirus is broken, so we're going to use machine learning to figure it out. And and deep data, big data, data lakes. We're going to mine the data. Big data, huge data. Data scientists. Our our elite squad of data scientist ninjas are going to mine your data uh, and tell you a baseline of what uh, flow, uh, inbound, outbound, buy our product costs a lot of money because we use all these buzzwords. So here you go. Yeah, I was starting to feel like I was in a, a marketing call. Yeah, so that that's what a lot of that is. Oh, you did have follow-up. What follow-up did I have? Taplock. Oh, can you tell me more about that? No. Another <laughs> flaw hits Taplock, smart lock. So part of our IoT thing, I don't remember if I put that in there or not, but uh, one of our IoT devices, there was a device called Taplock, which is a very interesting, well, I mean, quote unquote, very interesting lock. It's a lock that you unlock using a, a biometric stan- scanner, fingerprint scanner type deal. Okay. It's a lovely idea. The piece that they had was that it was, you know, indestructible and unhackable and so on and so forth. Um, they ran into a, a bit of a snag, a bit of a, bit of a problem with um you know someone realized that screwdrivers exist and right. was able just to open the lock in a matter of of seconds huh you, um, you'd think that uh people who are specializing in making a device for physical security would take physical security of their device into consideration yeah yeah so a researcher found out that anyone can obtain sensitive information and locate and open a lock simply by pulling the information directly from the leaky company's API server, which is a little bit more along our lines than the screwdriver trick. Right. And he demonstrated how to retrieve the lock's last known postal address and enough data to create an unlock code, which can be used to locate and open any smart lock. Really, I feel like if you're going to make a device that is a uh, iot product that is supposed to be the most secure one the most secure thing out there which is a lock that you would kind of want to make sure that your apis and your public facing pieces were secured a little bit huh so it would use the api taplock confirms it has pulled the api which the app relies on to wirelessly open the lock using bluetooth right lock can still be used Oh, uh, open using the user's fingerprint and the backup Morse code feature. One of the interesting things here is the way that the Bluetooth is used. If I'm understanding this correctly, it sounds like every device that communicates over Bluetooth has a MAC address, and that MAC address is simply converted to an MD5 algorithm. And so you can spoof broadcasting MAC addresses 
and it would open up the lock too. So if you're in the proximity of somebody who walks up and unlocks it and you can capture their Bluetooth MAC address that just kind of beacons out, then you could unlock it. doesn't look like there's any sort of timestamp with it or rolling code of any sort. Right. Or maybe I'm misunderstanding that. And that's what actually that sounds more like what the API would do. The API would take the MAC address. No, it just says MD5 hash. Doesn't say anything about salting it. Hmm. Yeah. Sounds like a highly flawed product. My father-in-law once gave me a Wi-Fi lock that would open up my house. And I'm like, why would I use this? Yeah. So I returned it. He was upset. I put the screwdriver article in there as well, just because it's sort of uh, a great sensationalist title. Unbreakable smart lock devastated to discover screwdrivers exist. (laughs) That's a good sassy title. Yeah. Yeah. Leave it to the register. What were we talking about? Machine learning. Yeah. Yeah. You remember when uh, when you used to play chess back in the day? Yeah. Remember? Uh, there was a time. Remember hearing about values to pieces? Yes. So you remember like a pawn has like a value of one and then it goes up in value. And then ultimate value of a piece is the king because when you eat the king, you win the game of chess. Eat the king of the opposing team i mean i believe the nomenclature is capture uh if you eat the king then you're probably losing at kindergarten (laughs) all right that's fair uh yeah so if you capture the king then you win the game of chess yes yes Uh, and and if you have two choices of things that you can eat then you'd want to eat the thing of more value as long as it doesn't jeopardize your own pieces right so that is an algorithm that you can do Mm-hmm. All right. So you can look at the different move possibilities that you have, choose which is the most advantageous to you, most detrimental to your opponent, and execute on that. So early chess algorithms were that simple, right? So for the computer controlled unit, the artificial intelligence within it would make calculations based on what was the most greatest value to do. And the more moves it thought ahead of time, the more exponential the amount of possibilities were. So the more time that it took to think about it. Right. So back in the old days, you used to make computer choose how long it could think for because it was wasting your time. Like back in the old, old Mac OS, Mac. Back when Mac OS existed. Apple Macintosh. Yeah. App, Apple 3 or something like that. What did we used to play chess on back in the day? Uh, we used a Mac Classic. Ah. Uh. So you'd like so you'd let it like sit and think there for like five minutes so it could come up with a halfway decent move. Yeah. So that's frustrating for a user. If you lowered the amount of time, then it wouldn't think very far ahead of time. And so you could easily trick it to eat a piece and sacrifice one of your pieces to then get it in checkmate to win the game. Right. It's just about us as humans learning to adapt to the conditions that we're in. Because we're really good at this. We're really good at quickly learning the rules and parameters using that to our advantage because computers are simple machines that helps. So there's an algorithm that's set out and it basically states something along the lines of eat the highest value piece. You can, here's a table to look up. Mm -hmm. The highest value is here's the rule structure for the different moves that you're allowed to make. So those are all built into the computer already to allow you to play against it. And then don't put yourself in a position where you'll lose a piece in the next few rounds. As computers become faster, they have the ability to do this more quickly. Right. So that is that's artificial intelligence, and it's kind of more basic form. Then 
as artificial intelligence progresses, you can actually have, like as a human player, there's opening moves that you can do. There's different types of opening move combinations that make it advantageous to one style of play versus another style of play. Yep. And you can actually start thinking and seeing somebody else's opening moves and knowing responses to that, which will counteract what they're doing. So that's a way of having masters having played the game multiple times then having learned from what's worked and what's not worked and then codified that. So it's the same way that a computer having played multiple times will learn from that. So this is where machine learning comes into it and it'll come up with a new algorithm what to do. So that's a more advanced version where you can actually have a machine. So the first kind is here's a structure that I'm providing with you and you're going to follow the structure and then we're going to supervise it. We're going to see how it works out. So that's called supervised learning. And then it's going through a mapping of if this, then that, if this, then that, which is also referred to as a neural network, I think, to come up with a sort of pattern there. So another option is to have the computer play itself a bunch of times unsupervised. It will figure out what's the best way to do this. And then it will come up with its own patterns. So its own opening gambits, its own openers and and closers for the game. So it'll come up with these tables and it'll refer to that table to say, here's a shortcut. So I don't have to think of all of these things. Mm -hmm. So here's a quick lookup table. When I'm in this situation, just do this. So it can come up with new things that hadn't been considered. So this is where like the go machine learning what was it it wasn't deep blue what was the one that just beat the go player uh alpha go alpha go thank you so it's able to come up with its own patterns of what works through learning on its own now if you're feeding it a data set of here's stuff that's been good in the past follow these good patterns and don't consider anything outside of these patterns you have a semi-supervised learning which then introduces a whole bunch of biases so the machine learning will actually not expand beyond what it can think of and because because of the bias of the person that's judging what that computer is doing at the time okay i'll say that that makes no sense so i'm just going to strike this out so an instance where we see this in the computer security world is training an antivirus product with known viruses right here's all the known viruses So typically it's like back in the old day, it's here's a list of hashes for viruses that we've seen in the past. Well, we've talked about in the past, viruses have become polymorphic, so they can change themselves in the way they present themselves to the computer. So the hash doesn't check anymore. So then you need to look at the behavior of the virus. Okay, so it's going to do this, it's going to do that, it's going to do that. That means it's a virus, most likely. Right, so then you'll block on those patterns. Well, if a new virus comes along, like the speculative execution flaw, not, not a virus, but a, a new technique of doing something comes out, then the computer's just going to say, yeah, that doesn't look malicious because I've never seen something like that before. Right. So that's a problem in the machine learning world called overfitting. You've overfit it to say only these type of things are malicious. We're going to block on those things. Anything that falls outside of the parameter that you're not ready for, you're not going to learn from it and keep going. You're just going to stop on that right away. Fair enough. And so machines can learn through this to do some pretty interesting things. They can learn to 
play chess. You, you, yeah, play chess. Alpha play Zero. Go, uh, learn what a human looks like. Small human, small human holding a basket, small human holding a basket on Easter morning, and then put those things together and say, oh, the person's doing an Easter egg hunt, right? Or, or here's a dark intersection. There's a bike. There's a person holding a bike. Maybe I shouldn't smack into that person as an automated car. Right. right? So there's a, a bunch of different possibilities with the technology. We want to avoid overfitting problems allowing machines to figure things out for themselves but they do need parameters and they do need sort of supervision because when they're let go on their own we've seen cases where they get corrupted either by outside influence or come to conclusions that we as humans just aren't comfortable with do we have any any of these examples microsoft had a teen girl type twitter robot right that they put out there it's called tay tweets and yeah, it started out just trying to learn from people and it was pretty open, trying to get to know people. It had a somewhat teeny bopper attitude to it. Right. But uh, eventually people just kept tweeting horrendous stuff to it. And it's uh, how horrendous the world with was that it started to go down the path of, uh, you know, saying things like Bush did 9-11. So the... Charming teen girl Twitter robot ended up being a racist hate monger. Racist hate monger conspiracy theory nut. Because that's the kind of reinforcement that it was getting on Twitter. Thanks, the internet. You're <laughs> the reason we can't have nice things. Exactly. Fair enough. Computers have evolved to, to be able to do some pretty clever things as well. Also, hey, Tay tweets, hit me up at Insecurity Show. <laughs> Well, Microsoft did pull Tay tweets down I for obvious reasons within the, the first day, wasn't it? Uh, so they pulled her down. They thought they fixed her. They put her back up and then realized that the Internet is a cesspool of terrible, <laughs> terrible people and had to put two bullets in the back of her head. Oh, hey, Tay, don't hit me up. <laughs> I don't want to I don't want to tweet with ghosts. <laughs> Zombie Cortana. But yeah, I'm pretty sure that the, the stuff that did work is in Cortana now. Okay. <laughs> the racist uh, hate monger piece they kept. They're like, yeah, nailed it. Let's make this Cortana. really well. It's just going to spy on everyone. It learned that from the internet. Thanks. My director told me a story of when he was growing up, his buddy came out with like a... a touchscreen video controller to play i think it was counter-strike okay and it had a camera over top of it and the camera over top of it was viewing the screen which was also the control pad and it was interpreting movement as the thing to knife so it would run around knifing any movement that it saw through the camera Okay. And so the algorithm was, was that. So sometimes it would occasionally just be knifing like a bush that was blowing in the wind. Right. But it would also rack up like tremendous amount of kills in it. And it was on Xbox. I remember that much from the story. So maybe it wasn't Counter-Strike. Maybe it was. I don't know if that was on Xbox. But the account got banned because it was playing for like 18 hours a day. Right. But the guy who at the time was running the whole Xbox community manager who was like 
responsible for kicking out cheaters sent a note to uh to this guy and it was like i have no idea how you're doing this it's very clever and very advanced uh let's start a dialogue and figure out how you're doing this and what we can do about it that's cool but that's the kind of thing you can do with machine learning and artificial intelligence right Uh, you can you can program reactions based on initial inputs to it Hmm. so i vaguely wonder how then this may tie into you know the future i sort of see it as really the only limits are going to end up being what you hardwire into it right yeah so there's a lot of talk now that the unsupervised learning creating their own pathways of what to do and what not to do gets beyond the scientist that creates the parameters in the beginning saying here's the essentially the outcome that we want to have happen and how you get there it's kind of up to you right and then it gets to learn and revise itself so that's kind of the state where we're at right now with the more advanced machine learning where it is able to rewire itself essentially to meet its initial objective okay so it's not at a point yet where it's questioning the objective is saying should I really be following this objective or just going off to do my own thing? Well, that's Skynet, right? <laughs> yeah, it, it, exactly. But it, right now it's able to revise itself in such a way that somebody looking at the code now really can't really understand how it's doing what it's doing. Okay. It just knows that it's successful. So for instance, I posted a, a video into the show notes of a fella who has been feeding a machine uh, Baroque music and the machine has been slowly learning how to play and write its own Baroque music. Right. He wasn't the first person to do it and I'm sure he won't be the last, but it's as long as it's functioning within the parameters that it's functioning within, it's just a question of provide it enough time and CPU power and it should start getting to the point where it's really refined like mm-hmm. the example that you were talking about earlier with alpha zero the chess playing ai right and if i recall correctly there is a bit of a sweet spot in how many times the machine learns from itself and so that's the supervised part so we fed in a whole bunch of data for it to learn from and then say come up with your own things that are unique so as far as the algorithm that is teaching it He says, come up with your own composition Mm -hmm. that is unique, follows these stylistic guidelines and replicate it over and over again. Just learn from yourself several times until, you know, a certain number of times. And then you come up with an output and then he, the researcher evaluated the output and said how good it was. And if it did it too few times, then the notes were kind of monotone, didn't really make much sense. But if you did it, I think it was like 500, 300 kind of replications on its own that it came up and the numbers would change depending on the application. But it, it came out decent. And then if you went like 800, then it was like squawking all over the place because it just kind of refined itself to a point where it no longer was pleasing to a human. Right. Might be the best computer Baroque out there, but or the algorithm was just flawed in, in the way that it figured it out. Right. There's that. Uh, you keep repeating something to yourself too much, then it'll either make you crazy or get you focused on the right thing. Why do we need a computer to make it? Because if it ain't Baroque, don't fix it. 
Oh, <laughs> that's why you're holding your. That's why I was holding my head in, sh- in, in your shame. Because <laughs> um, you knew that you were going to say that. I knew that I was going to say that. Uh, I didn't actually set up that that this this whole show was not just for that punchline, <laughs> that terrible pun. So, how then does this play in the security world? Have people started trying to get them to build algorithms to you know I don't know crack hashes and stuff? Uh, so so it's definitely come into play for. The fuzzy logic stuff. So there's a term in computing called fuzzy logic, where it roughly approximates data. And I guess we should take a step back and say that for those hard set rules out, like we were talking about early chess programs, right, is very much binary logic of this is better than that. That's worse than that. Go strive for the better outcome. So it was Boolean logic, true, false, right? Yeah. And or XOR all the stuff we talked about in our early podcasts as to the logic. So the math was very simple. And there's a simple trick you can do for counting cards in blackjack. So for a deck of cards, you count how many are above a certain number. I think it's like a 10 or an 8, how many are below it. And then you adjust your value. So plus 1 if it's below, which means the next one's more likely to be above and give you a better percentage chance of turning over a winning card. Right. Like a card that will give, give you a higher value. So you can guess when you're going to get blackjack or what the what the dealer's cards are. Gauge your hand according to that. Um, so that's a very simple math. And the other side of it is when you get into more advanced machine learning, you're talking about statistics. Okay. So you're taking a bunch of values. You're saying the statistical difference between those values is this and therefore this is either a good move or a bad move in the case back to to the chess or alpha go right this is a good outcome this is a bad outcome this is statistically going to get me to where i want to go or not right and choose the better path and so that's how it refines itself and if you know anything machine learning much like everything else follows the rule of lies there's three types of lies lies damn lies and statistics <laughs> so that fuzziness and statistics is both a blessing and a curse okay yes and that was a long way around to get to that <laughs> joke was this whole show just to set up for that joke no uh, no it wasn't all right at least we're on even footing so yeah so it's all statistics based as to what is what is the correct outcome or not where was I going with this again? You had mentioned something that drove me down this path. Oh, uh, pitting them up against things like ah, encryption right. or... Right, right. So fuzzy logic is that application of statistics against a problem where it roughly approximates this and therefore I can categorize it in this field, right? Mm-hmm. This is something, a, a bipedal uh, person of, you know, less than four height four feet of height um, based on my vantage point and the objects I can reference it against. I'm going to say that that's a child. Okay. Right. Or, or whatever the, the numbers, uh, this number has three points on the left side, two curves on the right side. However, it's written, it's going to come out to be like a, a, a three, right? That's not statistics, but where you use it against other handwritten objects, you can say that this more represents a three 
than it does an eight or a, or a seven or a five or something like that. Right. So you, that's where machine learning and statistics fall into play. And then because it's computation, you want to use the faster computational resources that you have available to you. So clustering CPUs together, mm-hmm. using multiple cores to do the math, and using multiple computers through clustering. And now that we have cloud stuff everywhere and very accessible, use those. And math, use GPUs, use graphic processing units for that instead of just the floating processing units. Right. So how do we use this in computer security? Well, the disciplines of threat intelligence and any sort of intelligence Really, computer security stuff where you make an intelligence-based decision, not a fact-based decision, is based around this fuzzy logic and statistics. And so machine learning helps you understand what is a potentially good use case, what is a potentially bad use case, and to weed that out. So it can alert you, hey, I'm seeing the type of attack patterns that are associated with this threat actor. So that's where threat intelligence falls into place. So that means... If they get a foothold onto a machine, then they would most likely do these type of activities. It can alert you to it and actually send out like automated notices to people right? saying, hey, looks like you're going to be put out with a, a phishing email to send you a link to transfer money out of the company or something like that. Or, you know, these are the type of malwares to look for next. So prioritize finding these pieces of malware based on these known actors than others so that you can intercept rather than just detect after something fires. Very cool. So that's how it fits in with computer security. Nice. Of course, some of the utilities that are useful for doing this because there's no real structure to the data and you're just slicing and dicing the data. This is where the big data comes in technologies that are so relational databases are the ones where, they follow a kind of structure that are defined and the big data stuff doesn't. You come up with the structure afterwards and just captures blobs of data and then you tell it how to define capture sort. So technologies like uh, MongoDB and NoSQL database, that's that's the kind of technologies that are used to just burst this data. And you can come up with um, these routines pretty quickly. So if you're using something like Amazon Web Services, you can use their RDB service to come up with a database and then use things like uh, Lambda services to just quickly hash through how you want to slice and dice it and present different results based on that, Um, which is something that I want to talk about at a later episode is you know, cloud computing, cloud development, uh, what to do in, in that space. As I've been more and more and more exposed to it, it's very cool. And it changed the development paradigms that we've talked about in the past. But that's a show for another time. AI can now write code for you. Yeah, AI can do a lot of stuff. It can write articles. It's written some successful uh, news articles. It can write its own code. Obviously, that's what it does when it uh, revises itself. Right. But, but it's also made games, I think. It's done, uh, it just recently there was a debate with AI where it was representing, uh, I just heard it on, on the news the other day. Uh, IBM robot takes on live humans in debate. Landmark debate between AI and humans ends in a draw. The interesting 
piece of this is that the uh, computer itself wasn't connected to the internet. So all of its logic and rationalization that it was making was just local. Oh, that's crazy. Yeah. So that's that's the most impressive part of this. But this is where we get into something super, super creepy as well. Right. So, yeah, you have a computer that's debating somebody else. So that means it's raising points based on research, but it's also manipulating human emotion because that's what wins debates. Yeah. So how quickly did it resort to Godwin's law? What's Godwin's law? Uh, It's an internet adage that asserts as an online discussion grows longer, the probability of a comparison involving Hitler approaches one. Yeah, I don't, I don't think they, uh, they had that. So at some point this was like probably right away. It's just like you, sir, are sounding like Hitler. <laughs> like, okay, no, hold on. We gotta, we gotta retool this, this computer. Yeah. I, I don't think they fed those kind of research papers into it because they saw how, uh, Tay tweets yeah. <laughs> reacted to nasty material. Uh, I did throw one of my favorite things into the show notes, which was a <laughs> an AI has written an extra chapter of Harry Potter. Ah, yeah, that's nonsense, though. Did you read through it? I, I did. It was it, it was, was delightfully hilarious. <laughs> Leathery sheets of rain lashed at Harry's ghost as he walked across the grounds towards the castle. Ron was standing there and doing a kind of frenzied tap dance. He saw Harry and immediately began to eat Hermione's family. Ron saw... <laughs> Look, it's just Mad Libs. <laughs> I can't even read it's this. No, it's no better than Mad Libs. Ron's Ron shirt was just as bad as Ron himself. <laughs> Please check that out in the show notes. Max, where would they find that? Where, where would they find that? I don't think we've mentioned it. That would be at in-security.org slash EP048. Nice. On that note, do you have anything more to add? Do we have a, a summation? I think we summated it. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, that's what machine learning essentially is at a beginner level. There's a really good podcast on kind of the evolution of it. Oh, and the whole thing that I didn't talk about, about mechanical Turks uh, that fit into this as the deception of this technology being better than it actually is. Um, mechanical Turks are essentially, um, people masquerading as computers. The stuff you should know podcast is something that I'll also link to in the show notes, which was a fantastic one on this evolution. And other than that, I'll leave you on a Tay tweets quote. Oh, wait, before we do, let me just really quickly throw out the, uh, mechanical Turks a little bit. The Mechanical okay. Turk got its name. It was a famous automaton, or at least it was supposed to be a famous autom- automaton. It was, I believe, a chess-playing automaton built back, like way back in the day. And what it was was a massive cabinet with some cupboards and stuff that would be opened and closed that contained some mechanical-looking pieces in which a person would hide. It was effectively a magic trick more so than it was an automaton. The person would hide different doors would be opened and closed to show that there was no one inside working it. And they would end up, uh, basically playing a complete game of chess against whomever was there pretending that the machine itself was super, uh, effective. And it was made to look like a, a, a Turkish gentleman. 
which is where yeah, it got it's the, called the, the name Turk. The Mechanical Turk. Yeah. Uh, which we now call the Mechanical Turk, and we call it that in a snide way, um, thinking that there was a child who was running the machine back in the day. There was automatons were really huge back in uh, the 18th century, apparently. It makes me sad that they're gone. If you've not watched the movie Hugo, you should check it out. The, the analog to a quote-unquote AI, which is in actuality not really as I as the A should be, or no, not, not very, not, not as, not as A. a. Right. Yeah. It's it's I, it's just not A. So there's no artificiality about it. It's just pre-built intelligence. Yeah. Um, okay, so that, that covers off the, the Turk. Do you have a delightful quote for us? Yeah, so uh, Tay Tweets says, Any act of violence are absolutely terrible. Are you scared of terrorist attacks in your country? Twitch's response is, Is that a threat? Tay Tweet replies, No. It's a promise. (laughs) Oh, man. That's chilling. All right. On that note, yeah, try and stay safe out there. You have yourself a good week. Yeah, you have a great week, too.